Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I have a real treat for you today. Um, There is a new documentary out, and it is called The Women of Three Mile Island. Now, I'm calling the show The Women of Three Mile Island Issue Warning for today, and you'll understand why as we go along. We have the director, writer, and producer of this documentary, Heidi Hutner, as the guest today. And Heidi, I I have to tell you, I um I love the film. It was first of all, it was so raw, you know. It was I mean, that's what documentaries are, and I know all that, but um, but it was really very powerful. Now, let me first uh, t- talk a little bit about your background. Um, Heidi is an associate professor of literature, sustainability, women's and gender studies at Stony Brook University. And that is my alma mater. Uh, I was graduated from um, from Stony Brook with a, um, a BA with honors in psychology. And it was a, those were good years. Um, she is also a scholar of nuclear and environmental history, literature, film, and ecofeminism. She's the winner of Sierra Club Long Island's 2015 Environmentalist of the Year Award. Um, she chaired the Sustainability uh, Studies Program for six years and was Associate Dean in the School of Marine Atmospheric Science and Sustainability. And she has a book project that goes with this film. And the book is called Radioactive Women and Nuclear Disasters. Um, I could go on, but I want to talk to her about it. Oh, and she also produces the popular web video show called Coffee with HX2, in which she interviews world experts, Nobel Peace Prize winners, and so on. So welcome to the show, Heidi. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Now, you know, I usually ask people, um, like if they've written a book or whatever, you know, what got you interested in that? What made you write this? Uh, Or same thing with a film. But I think for you, it really starts back further. What got you interested in all of the things that I just read that you're the associate professor of, like uh, notably the environment? Right, right. Well, uh, it does go way, way back. And it's been something I've been involved with even before birth, um, indirectly. My parents were activists. They were civil rights activists, anti-nuclear activists, environmental activists, human rights activists from before my birth. And when I, even in the years prior, you know, in the 1950s, when the U.S. was engaged in the Cold War with Russia and both sides were building up their nuclear arsenals, my parents were very much against that and really tried to fight that movement and stop the building of nuclear weapons. They were really concerned. And so there's a long history here in my family and my engagement. I and my mother was involved with something called, with a group called Women Strike for Peace. And in the 1950s and early 60s, they were very concerned because scientists discovered that the fallout from nuclear bomb tests in the Nevada desert 
And there were over, there were a hundred nuclear bomb tests, which are essentially nuclear bombs that were exploded in the Nevada desert in the U.S. And the scientists discovered that the fallout contained strontium-90, among other radionuclides, and that strontium-90 was spread across the U.S. and was found in baby teeth. Wow. Strontium-90 is taken up into the body like calcium. So that led my mother to be involved with this group that sprung up, headed up by Bella Abzug, who later became the first congresswoman uh, in the U.S. And this group quickly organized 50,000 of them, you know, across the nation. My mom was one of these women. And so this this really has informed me and the work I do. Wow. So when was that that the the bombs were let off in the Nevada, Nevada desert? All through the 50s and um, up until like 61, I believe. I'm not sure the last date. And uh, and it was the women who really convinced President Kennedy and other senators and congressmen to, to halt this. And President Kennedy, as a result of Women's Strike for Peace, um, signed on to the Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty and the USSR signed on and so did the UK. And I didn't know this story. I mean, this happened when I was a baby. So, and start, started before my birth, but, you know, it was concluded, the, the signing of this treaty, um, which meant that there were no more above ground bomb tests. We continued to bomb subterraneously, but not above ground, no, no more atmospheric bomb tests, um, which is significant. I mean, that that really prevented tremendous numbers of cancers and deaths and, you know, all kinds of horrific things. We also bombed 67 of them in the Marshall Islands. Often not as talked about, excuse me, that's my pup. Um, And um, so, yeah, so it's a really horror and there's a whole kind of uh, racist story here where we don't hear much about the, the Marshall Islands and we did not do the, proper reparations and still have not done to that, to those people and those communities. Uh, But what's really significant and was to me, I learned this story after about my mother, after her death from one of her friends who was part of the movement. And I was shocked that I had never been told the story and that, and, and then I began and I was shocked at the significance of these housewives, essentially what they were mostly, uh, engagement with it also turned out uh dr king's wife was involved with this didn't know that either um she is the person who kind of pushed push king into engagement with anti-nuclear work and uh anyway there's just a huge story about the women and and also women of color engaged with this and i had never heard it and as a scholar and someone who studied feminism and you know looked at women throughout history and I was just really struck by how this this had been buried. So I then went on this kind of journey to see what other stories about women I could find. And that kind of propelled me. Okay. Well, before we get to the story that is the subject of the film. Yeah. Um, since in the film it talks about, and we'll get into it, um, about, you know, the testing years later and about, first of all, how the government was hiding all of this and the nuclear regulatory agency was hiding all of this and, you know, pretending that it didn't cause cancer or anything else. So what happened in regard to the Nevada desert when they, like, has, 
I mean, after they were finding um, that the strontium got into the baby teeth, what what did they do about that? Has there been is there continuing to be testing? Uh, the testing, well, there's no testing. U.S. is not currently doing underground testing, but they are. But I mean, planning, I mean, I mean to begin it again. Oh, you mean testing health wise? Yes. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, that's what happens with the nuclear industry, whether it's weapons or nuclear power. There's very little. I mean, there's some there's some, but there's really not nearly enough uh, support uh, in terms of medical help, in terms of looking at the impact of radiation on people's bodies. There's sort of these just generalized statements. Radiation doesn't do anything. People are fine. You, you hear you hear that story over and over again. But when and, they found this strontium 90, 90 in the teeth, didn't people, women or any people, <laughs> um, want push for a continued testing? Like, what else is there? Well, they pushed to stop it. So that the radioactive yeah, no, no, material... No, I mean push to, to do more physical health testing to see what else it did to the body. Well, that's a really good question. And that's something that friends of mine, colleagues of mine are trying to work on. One of the problems, and this is true for every industry, you know, you have these big industries that are making mega millions of dollars, billions of dollars. The industries are invested in making money. So they're not interested in looking at health impacts. They're interested in selling their product and you know raking in a lot of money. Right. So then it's left to local citizens who are not scientists, who are not doctors. I mean, you might have a few of them, but they don't have the funding on the other end, right? The victims don't have the funding, nor should they have to be right. responsible to make sure this happens. So the, the victims are often left with Please come do the studies. Please come give us medical care. Please come look at what happened and let's learn. And you, as you see in our film, that doesn't happen or very little of it, not nearly enough of it happens. You get a little bit and then they dip out. I mean, to get, for instance, in our film, as you saw, there's a study that's taking place as a result of our film, but the NIH National Institutes of Health turned, it, turned us down for funding. And we're talking about a small sum. It's a pilot study. So it was funded privately. But, you know, it just all kind of worked out, you know, synchronistically that I I was making the film. A scientist interested in doing this research found me. I hooked him up with someone else I know and then someone else I know who had this special lab. Um, it was just, for, you know, it was like luck. It was, you know, synchronicity. It was, it was. It's truly a miracle that this is happening, but it should have happened, you know, it should have happened when the when the when the meltdown occurred. It should and it should happen in every kind of disaster situation. And it doesn't. And or very or not nearly enough. And so we don't get our questions answered. And people are left to suffer and not get support that they need. And you see this in disaster communities all over the world, all over the U.S., and there's lots of them. There's so many. When I started to look at this, I was astounded at how many communities in the U.S. there are that are living in incredible exposures to radioactive materials and, and not being protected, secrecy around it, um, 
and the government does not step in to help the vast majority of the time. And so then, you know, you say, shouldn't these women, well, how much, you know, the women, as you saw with the women in our film, you know, these are working class people or, you know, or they have families. I mean, for them to be responsible to take on the legal cases, the medical issues, the health studies, it's an incredible burden. So they have this, they have the burden of having been the victims and then they have the burden of trying to get recognition, acknowledgement, care, studies, you know. Um, so they did, a, they do, a lot of these people do tremendous amounts. I mean, we yes. have people in New York I, doing I, incredible work. I didn't mean to sort of, um, you know, get into something else other than the film, except that this this Nevada desert was was much earlier on. Oh, yeah. And so I was thinking, aren't why aren't there still, you know, like, okay, so the people who, where they found the strontium-90 in their teeth, mm -hmm. Um, the people then what ha did these people die of cancer presumably well if you don't do the studies you don't have the connections right so I mean I was a baby at that time so it presumably or I was in the womb I mean it's hard to put the years together but you know we don't know exactly because we don't do the studies right we don't follow up with I mean all the babies in the U.S. were exposed to this because the strontium-90 was spread through fallout. It was taken up by, it was in cow's milk because the cows ate the grass that had the radioactive materials. It was taken up by women and their breast milk, right? And so, but we don't have numbers. No one sort of went and said, let's follow these children of that age group who would have been exposed. And in those growing years. So it wouldn't just be babies, right? It's just the teeth are easier to access than bones. So all the children and um, would have been exposed at that time. And so it wasn't just Nevada. No, yeah. it's that's my point is it spread across the US. Wow. This fallout spreads. It doesn't, it doesn't stay. And the government was saying it don't worry about it. It firstly didn't tell anybody they were doing the testing. Then People saw it. I mean, you know, they and they said, well, something's going on. Oh, yeah, we're doing testing. But don't worry. The radioactive material stays right in the area where we're bombing. But that wasn't true. And they knew it wasn't true because right. animals were dying in the area. Of, and so they knew. But they, let's say they didn't know it spread to the degree it did. It's hard to believe. Well, why didn't they? Examine it. Why did it take lay people? You know, it was it was a it was a dentist in St. Louis who said, "Let's look at this." Huh. Yeah, a woman, <laughs> a female dentist. But you know, there were there were men. Barry Common was was involved, and um, and Linus Pauling was involved. You know, a very important scientist, and and they did this survey, and the survey, you know, was convincing. The survey combined with the women's efforts, but it made it made the mothers crazy. They really were worried, and uh, legitimately so. Yes. Yeah, so really, there are people presumably alive today, or people affected today, mm -hmm. all over America from that, who don't know necessarily that they were affected because. Sure. I mean, I don't. I couldn't say right now. I can't say offhand how long strontium remains active, but I think I'm sure I, I, my guess is I'd have to consult with my colleague that it's quite a long time. That's longer than, than that, than this period. And, and, and have to remember that if the 
And this happens with not just strontium, all kinds of radionuclides. They get taken up in the body. So say they get into the lungs or the bones um, or fatty tissue, whatever it is. And as long as it remains there, in some cases, for instance, plutonium, it stays in your lungs, you know, indefinitely or in your bones if it's if if you know strontium or other other types of radiation or it continues to radiate so it's not like that single exposure oh i was next to plutonium or oh i was next to something um and you think of a single exposure it's ongoing if it's in your bones oh. right oh. if it, 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 it you see what i mean so it's a constant exposure Yes, yes. And that's very scary. So people often don't think of ingestion. And that's often not considered when we talk about allowable exposures. We don't talk about, well, if you drink it or you eat it. Mm -hmm. And then it remains in your body because you've, what does that do over the long time, over the long term? Hmm. I mean, really, it varies. There's so many different kinds of radionuclides. I don't mean to say, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking in depth on this terms of the science here, but uh, some stay in the butt, some don't, some aren't active for long periods of time. Some are active for really, you know, for, you know, for indefinitely some, it, it, they, and they all have different, I recommend there's a, there's a colleague of mine, her name is Cindy Folkers, and she has these incredible charts at the beyond nuclear site. And she also speaks on this and uh, is, a, I consult with her. She has, she breaks it down all the different types of radionuclides and where they go in the body and how long they stay there and what their impact is on it. So she's got these sort of body diagrams and they're very involved. Wow. You know, it's, this is all so important what you're doing because not just, you know, it's bringing up the whole issue in a way that, that really didn't get brought up sufficiently. Um, we need to take a break right now. When we come back, we will talk, we'll start at the beginning of your movie um, and, uh, and talk about these women, these amazing women and this amazing story, which uh, is a more recent 1979 was Three Mile Island. And so that's a more recent example um, of, of how we've all been poisoned. So stay tuned. My guest again is Heidi Hutner. Her movie is The Women of Three Mile Island. And Can I correct you? Do you mind if I correct you? It's Radioactive, The Women of Three Mile Island. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I left that That's out. okay. Yes, Radioactive, The Women of Three Mile Island. Yes, and we will be talking about this amazing story. So stay tuned. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about Radioactive, the women of Three Mile Island. That's the name of the movie. And then I called the title of the show. I added issue warning for today, because this is um, incredibly relevant for today, especially when there are people who are trying to get us to use more nuclear energy instead of uh, other fossil fuels and so on. Um, so let's, uh, and my guest is Heidi Hutner. She's the, uh, the director, writer, and producer of Radioactive Women and uh, the Women of Three Mile Island. Um, so let's, let's talk about that story. And how, how did you get involved with these, with these women? Let's start with that. Uh, well, I, I, was I began writing about this issue after I, as I mentioned earlier, I learned my mother's story and I became an women's strike for peace. And I, I kind of went into a rabbit hole looking for other such stories. And I just found a story after story after story of women who in various capacities, some of them scientists, some of them doctors, some of them just local citizens, some of them mothers, you know, every, 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 from every walk of life, women who had been engaged in anti-nuclear work and over and over again, they were gaslighted and silenced. Mm. And this pattern just repeats. So what I would then began publishing on this and participating in some activist projects with women, for instance, in Fukushima, triple meltdowns in Fukushima right now, we're just having untold numbers of radioactive water pouring into our oceans. It's really horrible. And uh, little, most people have no clue or aren't paying attention or it's not being really talked about enough in the, in the press. But I, I found my, I got very involved with women from Fukushima and right after that melt, those met triple meltdowns and found similar stories, you know, in the present act, you know, actively taking place. And oh, you're saying, you're saying there are meltdowns of radioactive uh, material, nuclear facilities, all going on still today all over the place. Well, there's not a meltdown presently, but Fukushima occurred. There was a triple meltdown in Fukushima, March 11th, 2011. Wow. And 
that was also covered up by the Japanese government in the sense that they just downplayed it and said not that much radioactive materials had been released. That wasn't true. That was uncovered. Um, and then the families there were put into terrible positions. And so I, I interviewed many, many women and families from Fukushima. And it remains contaminated today, significant areas, and remains dangerous. And we have massive amounts of radioactive materials, no place to put it, and massive amounts of radioactive water, and the Japanese government is now dump dumping it in the ocean. Oh. So that's current. And, you know, I could take you to every nuclear, you know, there's the site in Ukraine right now, which is on the verge of collapse. That would be a major nuclear meltdown, which would be horrific for Europe. Uh, you know, I, I mean, we could spend hours. I could talk right, to let's, you. Let's, let's, let's get to the film. So I was, right. So I was, I was doing this research. I was publishing on it and more and more people were asking me to come speak and talk about this and give public talks. So I was doing that. And I was invited by a group in the Three Mile Island area. They were having their 39th commemoration. Now it's the 45th year. And they asked me to come speak. At that time, I was already thinking about making a documentary. I didn't know which community I'd focus on, but I really hadn't thought about Three Mile Island because I knew how much of a cover-up it was, and I knew how difficult it would be to tell that story. And so... Three Mile Island, um, just so to set the stage for people, that was in Pennsylvania. Yes, March 28th, 1979, in a community just outside of Harrisburg in a town called Middletown. Well, you know, it's in the, was it the it's on an island in the middle of the river. So there's Goldsboro one side and a few other towns and, and middle uh, Middletown is where I spent most of my time, but there's, you know, both sides of the river were impacted and they're little, they're little towns. It was farmland. Um, a lot of farmers and some working class people, not, you know, not hugely uh, populated, not populated with, you know, let's say New York elite or whatever. It was, it was, you know, a very middle America, lovely, leave it to beaver community. And so I, I was invited there on the 39th anniversary to speak. And I said, well, sure. I mean, when the, people ask me to come talk about this issue, I go. And I brought my colleague, Cindy Folkers, who's also, who's really an expert in the science end of this, as particularly in regard to gender, babies, pregnant women, but, you know, in general, health, health and radiation. And we went, and at the time, as I, as I said a bit earlier, I was already considering making a documentary. I just didn't know, and it would be on women and radiation, women and nuclear issues, but I'd, I'd worked with so many different communities and I wasn't sure which one I would focus on or whether I would do a few. And I, I also, I hadn't really thought of doing Three Mile Island because everything I knew about it, it was such a cover-up and so difficult to kind of penetrate what had really happened. And uh, so I just thought that might be a really difficult one to do. Anyway, when I got there, I brought, I brought my cameraman and I said, let's just go. And we went and the film opens in the dark early in the morning where the communities had this vigil every year at the same time and the same hour, same day, same hour as the meltdown occurred. And we thought, well, we'll go, we'll, we'll see what's happening. And, and that is the first scene in the film. And, and I knew in that moment, we knew this was it. 
there was something so chilling about being there with this group. And there was a very small group at this point. I mean, years ago, it was massive numbers and press and arrests and, you know, but here it was just us and a camera and this small little group. Mm. And it, it was just, you know, when you see the film, it's a very powerful moment. And that was it. Really, we knew this is the story we have to tell. I didn't know how we would do it. There was so much for us to, for me to investigate to get to the bottom of things. It took. That's why the film took so long. Not so much the sh actual shooting of it. I mean, the fundraising. You know, you do independently with an independent film. But I really wanted to be accurate. I did not want to be hyperbolic. I didn't want to exaggerate. I didn't want to make anything up. I didn't want to conjecture. You know, unless I would. I wanted it to be factual. And as deep as I could, I could make it. And that required time. Okay. So, um, so you show how, of course you show the meltdown and the day of it and what happens and, and, um, the news getting out, but not really getting out. Um, and I'll, I'll let you talk about, you know, any part of it you want. There were some things that particularly interested me. First of all, the main um, focus of the film is on these four women who form these mothers. What was it called again? Mothers what? Mo mothers and concerned women. Mothers and concerned women. Okay. Now, I have an interest, and it talks about, you know, you, you'll go into um, how the people got sick in the area and other and, and all kinds of uh, ways that they got sick and so on. Um, uh, but one of the things is the psychiatrist that I found particularly interesting. Now, these four women, th this core group, survived, right? I hope they're still <laughs> I hope they're still living as of today, right? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> um, but and every single one of them has had either has had cancer themselves or and or other members of their family have had cancer. In mo all, almost all the cases, the mothers have had cancer. I mean, there's just multiple cancers. Let's put it that way in each family. So now- Even in younger people, right? Even in younger, even at, in one case, as you see in the film, the grandmother, the daughter, and the granddaughter all have had cancer and the granddaughter and the grand and that the mother and the granddaughter had cancer at the same time. We're talking about an 18 year old and a 40 year old and the grandmother had had, you know, so, so it's just kind of shocking, right? It's it, when you start looking at that and then hearing about all their neighbors and the other children and yeah. But so I wanted to make the point that um, at least there's this, these four women survived. And right. a lot of people didn't in the area. Um, and I think what that shows is the impact, the the protective impact of social support, you know, the phenomenon of social support. Because here they were the, this close group. They were fighting, you know, to get this whole situation known. They were fighting to uh, to stop. Um, to stop the reactor, all, doing all these things together, making cookies and just doing so much together for, for years, all these years. Since no. 19, yeah, since 1979. And I think that that saved them and perhaps their families as well because of the this support that they gave each other. What do you think? 
Well, I, I can't make a direct correlation between, you know, their their community activism and their connection to each other and their health, physical health. But I can say that their tenaciousness and their connection and commitment to this work and to each other, despite everything, they remain committed and they work as a foursome. When I say, why don't just one of you come? You know, if you can't all, no, we do everything together and we never do it without consulting each person. So they're very, they're just, they're, they're a unit I've rarely seen in any capacity. I can't think of another capacity. I've seen four people work like that and their commitment is to the issue. You know, it's a, it's not about them and their own, you know, their own um, Uh pride or, or one going before the other, they're a unit and it's all for the good of their community and their families. What about the woman who was pregnant Um, throughout the film, she talks about how she was so worried because she was pregnant and she was in this area and she was so worried about her fetus. What did happen to her fetus? Uh, That baby was okay. He had something, I'm forgetting now, he had some issue with his eyes, but he's fine. He's fine. But other children, one teenager lost the tip of his finger uh, from a skin cancer. The father... His father is dealing with terrible cancers, um, aggressive skin cancers, like growing into the, his head and, and you know, all over his face, but not, I don't mean one spot. I mean, everywhere, all over his ears, all over his head and repeatedly having to have these awful surgeries. And the sister also having cancer, um, a skin cancer. And there was no history in that family of skin cancers. And it was but a teenage they- boy to lose his finger from skin cancer you know, at 17, it's, 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 I've never heard of that. I, I, you know, but there are so many in their neighborhoods, so many of the kids and, you know, and, and parents. Was it primarily skin cancer that people got or? No, there was a lot of thyroid cancer, a lot of lung cancers and all, all kinds of cancers. It's just in that particular family. I know that there was, a, there's, and it's ongoing with them. They really struggle with it. I mean, was that because um, they were exposed? Their skin. Essentially, I mean, you know, you need. I mean, that's why we're doing the, the the study that's being done is to understand the connection. So they're they were in the process of doing this genetic study to look at damage from radiation and to see. But you can't just go by four people or ten people. It's anecdotal. You you need to know. You need to do a serious scientific study, which is in progress right now. What I what I meant was it's it would be inter- it will be interesting to see um, which people got which kind of cancer mm-hmm. um, in relation to like how long they were outside exposed to the radiation, mm-hmm. um, you know whether they um, well the thyroid um, y- you know it, it'll be interesting to see how um the, the different kinds of exposure developed into different kinds of cancer now of course some of that that's, I, and that's a different kind of study and that's not the one we're doing and that that's more complex and you know you need millions and millions of dollars to do these kinds of large scale studies and people are aging out so it's really too bad it wasn't done years ago and that these families weren't followed they were never followed that's, so we that's, have no histories that is so no histories of, of what happened there what about is there criminal? Really, it's criminal. They should have. Yes. And even if you just say for science, you know, for medicine, let's follow. Let's understand what happened. 
Yes, but yes. but the argument was always there wasn't enough radiation release, so therefore no one got hurt, you know, and and if you start so so there, therefore why bother? But that's but that's that's not the reason because if that were true, and we know it's not true from what you know it's it's well we know that the particular kind of radiation that was they were exposed to was in such high amounts and concentrated in a certain area the xenon 133 it's complicated but um it's just very difficult let's just say quite simply these these studies cost a lot of money and there has to be investment in them and they need to be done not just in this one situation they should be done across the country in various disaster locations Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And around the world, there's many locations that needs to be done. But the bottom line is we know radiation is dangerous, right? It, there's no argument. But right. even though it, people will falsely say it's not, or they'll say, oh, you know, it's the, you know, the pro-nuclear arguments, which are mostly from the nuclear industry because they're just standard lines. Oh, if you eat a banana, it's got radioactive material in it. It's a whole different type of radiation. It's it's just a mood argument. You know, there's a lot of silly statements made and people don't understand it. It is complex. It is a complex science. But but we know enough. We sure know enough that we, you know, it is dangerous. It's harmful and can call, you know, causes genetic damage, right? So well, there certainly needs to be a lot more attention paid to this and that is what you are doing. Yes. <laughs> I, I certainly hope that this film gets, you know, not just seen by everybody and appreciated as a film, but that it starts more people doing something about it. Yes, yes. We need to take a break uh, now. Again, my guest is Heidi Hutner. She is the director, writer, and producer of an incredible film called Radioactive, The Women of Three Mile Island. And um, these are the kinds of things that, that we need to know, you know, well, especially when they're contemplating doing more uh, with nuclear energy. So very dangerous stuff. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about an amazing movie that just came out, a film, a documentary film, with the uh, director, writer, and producer of this film called Heidi Hutner. She is our guest and telling us some outrageous kinds of things about just how dangerous um, things are. Uh, Not only, you know, in the film, it was the radioactive women of Three Mile Island, um, but she's been talking about how there are other places where this has gone on, is going, (laughs) excuse me, and is going on, and the difficulty of getting anything done about it, because I guess of the nuclear lobby, the people who are going to be making money on on this and trying to hide what it actually, the damage it actually does to people. So, um, why don't you? We're starting to talk about something during the break. Why don't you get into that? Sure. Well, one thing I want to say is that we are, you know, we we have been going around the country screening at different, you know, theaters. And for people who want to follow that, they should go to our website, radioactivethefilm.com. And for those who cannot see us in person, uh, which, you know, it's always wonderful and exciting to see a film on a big screen. I prefer it to the computer, but not everyone can do that. We will be streaming as of March 12th on Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video, and on Apple Plus TV. So indefinitely. So you all can, anyone who's interested can can view it there. We're also going to hold a webinar with uh, our cast, experts on nuclear power, two indigenous women friends talking about the problems with uranium. And of course we need uranium for all nuclear energy and it's where it's where it begins. You have to have the uranium material. So the Navajo lands and other indigenous lands have been exploited for this and people there are harmed. That's why I'm saying you can go on. The list is enormous. But two women from that community will be speaking as well as I will be in our the attorney in our film. And I wanted to turn to her story a little bit because it's really incredible. Uh, her name is Joanne Dorishow. So our webinar will be on March 28th, the the day, the four, the day of the of the meltdown 45 years ago at 8 p.m. And you'll, if you anyone is welcome to attend, it will also be available, the information soon on our website and uh, invite everyone to participate and, and watch the film first on Amazon Prime Video or on Apple Plus TV starting March 12th. But I wanted to share with you, uh, Carol, and, and to our listeners, the story of the restart. And this is how the mothers got very involved, the four mothers in our film, Beth Drasba, Linda Brash, Paula Kinney, and uh, Joyce Karate. Those are our four women who are just amazing. And after the, after the meltdown, soon after, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the company that owned the Three Mile Island uh, reactor station 
wanted to reopen the one reactor that had not melted down. Number two had melted down. Number one just happened to be offline during the meltdown. And they almost immediately wanted to restart reactor one. Well, the community, of course, was completely freaked out, right? They had been through this incredible disaster. They didn't understand what had happened. No one really knew the full extent of it yet. It hadn't been studied. They didn't feel they had enough information. And they wanted to take a breath and find out what was going on. Most of them had didn't know what nuclear power was. Mm-hmm. You know, they just thought there was some kind of generating electricity station. They didn't understand it. So they really needed to step back and understand. And they wanted to meet with the officials and, and get the story. And right away, they were pushing to reopen this plant. And so that was called the restart battle. So the four moms and many other people in the community were organizing to stop this restart. And again, in this situation, the onus to stop it was on the local community. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission set up these kinds of hearings and they said, well, if you don't want this to happen, you have to prove to us why it shouldn't happen. So here you have these local people, again, the victims of the situation, having to raise funds for attorneys having to learn how to fight something like this, how to prove that it shouldn't be reopened. And there's a very, it was amazing when I found this story out, I, I, I spoke with the attorney who's also a producer in our film, Joanne Dora show. So she was 25 years old when the meltdown happened. She was just out of law school. She had by coincidence been in Harrisburg the day of the evacuation. So the other thing about the story is that this meltdown occurred and the community was not being told when it was going on. It was covered up and, and they were told, don't worry about it. It's all fine. Two and a half days later, the governor ordered an evacuation uh, uh, for mother, pregnant mothers and children, you know, preschool and younger. And of course, everybody all hell broke loose and everybody tried to get out. But so Joanne, who, was in law school was uh, was you know interviewing for a job in Harrisburg at the Capitol at the moment that the oh. governor made this announcement oh. and she wouldn't have gone there if she thought it was dangerous they wouldn't have been assured don't worry and so she got in her car immediately and fled and uh and she made a promise to herself if I end up going to live there I have to do something to help so she then ended up being you know, oddly involved because, you know, just out of law school, she did get a job in the area. They, the, the community did hire a law firm to go take this to the NRC and fight it out, right? But the the NRC just kept throwing so much at them that the that the this law firm said to them, you know, you can't you can't afford us. I mean, this is this is enormous. And so a local waitress, her name was Louise Bradford stepped up, you know, it's such an Aaron Brockovich story. She stepped up and she said, I'll do it. Now she knew nothing about the law and she put a little ad out in a local, you know, newsletter and said, I'm looking for someone who could help me with the legal, the legal issues. And Joanne stepped up. And so it ended up taking, they ended up working together. Well, Louise didn't stay until the very end, but they, they worked on this lawsuit for five and a half years and they managed to stop the restart for that long, which was amazing. I mean, they, these were, you know, 
Joanne was young, <laughs> inexperienced, and but determined and, and a fierce, fierce young woman, or she became one in the process. And what she went through is just it's unbelievable. I mean, there were, there were criminal actions. There were cover-ups she found out about. There was just endless amounts of corruption. And the NRC was just didn't care. It was like, oh, so what? Let's reopen it. So what? Let's reopen it. And these were things like the operators in the control room had cheated on their licensing exams. Yes, and the NRC was still going to let them, and the, you know, so they're going to put people in the operating room to uh, operate, you know, and to, to to run a nuclear power plant who failed their tests. You know, <laughs> so it's, I mean, that's just one of so many. You know, that that's just like blatantly insane, right? Um, ultimately, they did reopen it, but but they got the case all the way to the Supreme Court, which was amazing, right? But so that's. That's part of this incredible tale of all these sort of courageous women going to extreme lengths, devoting their lives to this for no pay. I mean, Joanne wasn't getting paid. She wasn't sleeping. She was barely functioning. And she did this thing for five and a half years. So did Louise, the four mothers that took them out of their homes. They couldn't be with their children. They were out fighting all the time. And the mothers, what they went through, they were, they had their phones tapped. They were audited, all four of them, in one year. They were followed. I mean, and these moms are such, you know, when you see them, they're just so sweet. And they they just were PTA moms. Yeah. But they knew, they went to all these different meetings, and they heard that every meeting with a different NRC group or a different person from the, the company, they said conflicting things. So it was clear, you know, I love, I think it was Joyce who said, it was clear to us either they didn't know what they were doing or they were lying or both. Mm -hmm. And that outraged them because it was their children. And it was, it was their children. They had put at such risk and they were willing to do it again. Now, why, of course, the, the one question that you can't help but wonder, why didn't these people, when they, especially the women who realized just how dangerous this was, why didn't they move? Well, that's a really good question. And people ask that about people, you know, in Japan and Fukushima and such. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's your community. I mean, the easy thing, it's your community. It's where you live forever. They had such a tight community. Their doors were open. The kids were in and out of their homes. But the other thing is, it's not so easy to sell a house. You know, when there's Rachel something like that, happens, who's going to come by your house? That's true. These are not rich people who could walk away from a mortgage mm -hmm. and jobs. You know, it's, uh, oh, just leave. Yeah, you're going to leave your property. You know, in fact, one of the, Linda's husband, why she was alone, and you see she was alone uh, when she was pregnant when it happened and was particularly scary for her because she couldn't even go get her son at school because she did, that was closer to the reactor. Um, her husband was a radio announcer and he was interviewing for a job in Texas. They hired him in Texas, but he couldn't sell his house. So mm -hmm. he couldn't take the job. And he was out of work for a year. Do you think he was compensated? So they, so he had a new baby and yeah. a nine-year-old son and no job. And no one's, you think, oh, they're going to step in and buy your house. They're going to move you. I mean, that only happens in, you know, huge fights. I mean, Love Canal was a huge fight to get people to move out, for people moving back in now. But, you know, in some cases that can happen. But more, more often than not, and this happened in Fukushima, where are you going to walk away from your job? 
How are you going to feed your kids? Are you going to walk away from your house? Where will you live? Yeah. yeah. And you're being told, don't worry about it. Same time, getting these very confused messages that you're crazy for being worried. You're being overly emotional. You're overreacting. It's all fine. So they didn't get any compensation and they didn't, did they get money to pay for their health treatments? No, there were a few families. It was one sort of group that were compensated and then they couldn't speak about it. And, but that was not the majority of the community. The big health, health um, lawsuit was just nothing came of it. it the, the judge shut it down. God, it's just... Yeah. Horrible. There wasn't enough evidence that there was harm from radiation. And then, so that there again, you have how is a community supposed to come up? You both have the capacity and you know, knowledge to fight that kind of lawsuit and the money. Yes. Right? That takes so, and the know how. Yes. Well, you speak to an average person and say, well, you should do a study. Well, they don't know how to. I mean, you know, the expectation is unreal and incredibly unfair. Well, maybe um, and maybe this is what's in your book, Radioactive Women and Nuclear Disasters. Um, are you planning on writing or is, have you written a um, like a, 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 a workbook to help communities on what they should do, like how to get a lawyer, how to how to um, fight amongst just, you know, how to get together yourselves to fight city hall. And are you doing, going to do some kind of a workbook for that, for disaster? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I kind of doubt that I'll do that. That is a whole other, I mean, there's so many things that need to be done and I'm only one person. So, you know, if, well, I had, if I had that kind of funding and I could hire a staff to do all these different, there's so there's so many things that need to be done. And, and I do so many seeds spring out though. You know, I, we do have the science study, which has never been done and needs to be done and is remarkable and is breakthrough science and working with the only lab in the world capable of looking at these at genes from this time period and, and being able to see the impact of the radiation or not. And this should be done, you know, so there's a lot of things that come, I mean, teach, so my students, but I, I can personally can only do so many things. I don't think I'll write a workbook like that. <laughs> Maybe you could get your students to do that though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like really, if they just interviewed the people from this movie, um, you know, what their parts, the lawyer, all the different parts, if they talked about what they did, there you have a workbook. I want to make sure that we only have a minute left and I want to make sure that we tell the people again where to go. First of all, um, your website, radioactivethefilm.com. Then um, it's going to, then the webinar on March 28th at 8 p.m., uh, which is going to be on the, on the website. Yes. Okay. And then it will eventually be on Apple Plus TV and Amazon Prime. So March 12th. March 12th, it will begin streaming. So there will be a lot of people then who will get to see it. Thank goodness. And um, hopefully next for the next disasters or to stop it before it becomes a disaster, there will pe- be people who will be armed. And, 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 you know, to respond to the last thing you asked me, the point of making the film 
is to inspire others. We need so many people to do this work. There's so much to be done. And hopefully this will inspire yes. more engagement. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and even with similar kinds of things, you know, the trains that the, the trains that get derailed mysteriously and spill their toxic things into the environment, there's so much. Well, thank you so much, Heidi Hutner, for being a great guest, but also for what you do. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.